is risen. And if you don't know the response to that, the traditional Christian response for Resurrection Sunday is whenever someone says, he is risen, your response is, he is risen indeed. So let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So glad that you're here with us this Easter Sunday morning. And uh, I, I, I know that this is a weird time for us, uh, that the governor has now included churches into the no mass gathering meeting. So I know that across the, the state of New Mexico, there are empty churches. But you know what? That's okay. Because we are celebrating this morning that there was an empty tomb. Amen? That there is no grave that can hold our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning we are gathering together to celebrate the resurrection. Let me read to you beginning in John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as of yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Isn't that amazing? Imagine that you're, you're one of the disciples. Imagine that you had been with Jesus as we celebrated on Good Friday uh, at the, the Passover, and, and Jesus instituted what we know now is the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. And then he said, this, is, this, this cup is the blood of the new covenant that I make with you. And, and he even told Peter that he would deny him that night. And even though Peter said, Lord, I would never deny you, I, I would follow you to death. That's exactly what happened. Then Jesus went through the, the farce of a, of a trial, breaking the relig religious leader's own laws, was tossed back and forth between Herod and Pilate, and we ended Friday night when Jesus was crucified on the cross. It was after that the disciples went into hiding. They, they, they quickly took Jesus' body down. They, they laid him in a borrowed tomb, and then they waited. I cannot imagine what it would have been like for that Saturday to wait with the disciples, the, their, their hopes crushed, their dreams gone, this one in whom they put all of their hope, this Jesus, the Messiah, was dead. And so as they went through all day Saturday, now into Sunday, they were waiting the time, the women were waiting for there to be just enough light to go and anoint Jesus' body for burial. They didn't even have time on that Friday to prepare him properly for burial. And so they, they went early. We read in John that Mary Magdalene was the first to win, and, and she was there early. She went while it was still dark so that when it was just light enough to see that she would be there, and she saw that the stone was rolled away, fearing that they had taken Jesus from the tomb and, and done something with his body. 
she ran home and told the other disciples, Peter and John. Peter and John then ran. I I love the way John puts it here. Uh, John never refers to himself in his own gospel. It's always the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, And John was younger than Peter. We don't know the age difference exactly, but he was young enough to beat Peter to the tomb. But he didn't go in first. He waited for Peter. And Peter went and he saw the, the, the linen cloths lying there where Jesus had lain. And then he saw, and, and this is interesting that he points out, John points this out, he, he saw the cloth that had been on Jesus' head and it was folded up and laid in a different place than the other grave clothes. Here's what we need to understand. That there's no grave that can hold Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And they didn't fully understand at the time what was happening and what was going on, but I love the way that John inserted here. John saw that Jesus was not there, that the tomb was empty, and it said he believed. Listen, brothers and sisters, we we need to understand several things about this passage. We need to understand some things about the resurrection. You see that, if we're not careful, we'll buy into the things that the world says and, and think that Christianity, that followers of Jesus, just have to believe this fairy tale that was made up by a bunch of people. That's not so. That is absolutely not true. I, I, I love the way that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the, the way that, that he refers to it, talking about the resurrection. Here's what Paul says, the last part of verse 54, chapter 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, some things that we need to understand about the resurrection. The first one is this, that that if Jesus had simply died for us, we say that all the time, that Jesus died for us on the cross, If Jesus had simply, if he had only died for us on the cross, then he would have just been a martyr for what he believed. But he didn't just die. He rose again. There's no grave that could hold him down. This this is why this is important. Uh, Three things about this that we need to understand. First, Jesus fulfilled the law where we could not. You see, Jesus lived the life that we could not live. He fulfilled the law perfectly in every way he pleased the Father. There was never a time where Jesus sinned. He fulfilled the law that we could not. And then on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin. We mentioned in our Good Friday service, the way that Paul writes it is, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin. In other words, he took our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. He took the punishment for our sin. But that's not all. You you see, if that's where the story ended, then, then we and the other disciples would be forever wondering what happened after that. Is what Jesus said true? Did he simply die like any other man? Did he just have a lot of really good ideas? Was Jesus just really passionate about what he believed? But, but then he died. There's something that we need to understand about the resurrection. The resurrection means that Jesus defeated the grave. 
There is no grave that can hold him. Why is that important? What, what does that mean to us? Well, it, it means this. It means, first of all, that sin could not stain him. That when Jesus bore our sin, he took our sin. It wasn't his sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was without blemish. He was flawless. That was the only reason he could be our sacrifice. Jesus was not stained by the sin that he took, by our sin. The second thing that it means is that death could not defeat him. You you see, in the history of man, death has always scared people. You've heard the saying, just, just like I have, there are two things that are certain in life, death and taxes, right? Um, April 15th coming up. That's been delayed. You, you, you can worry about that later. Death and taxes, that, that those are the two things that, that are certain. And, and, and the problem with death is that it's so final. If we just look at death from this world's view, that life is tough and then you die. You ever heard that? But when Jesus rose from the dead, what it means is that death could not defeat him he was not defeated by death and just to prove it because we could say that if he never rose from the grave we could say that and we could hope that was true but just to prove it no grave could hold him he rose from the dead and that's why the resurrection is so important for us in fact for the christian for the believer it's all about the resurrection I've called this the hinge pin of our faith, the hinge pin of our belief in Jesus Christ. For Christianity, it's this. For the believer, it's all about the resurrection. Without the resurrection, well, let's just read what Paul says, because the resurrection changed everything. Here's what Paul says. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is verse 12. And and Paul is just a little background. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He's writing to the believers there. Some of them had had begun to believe some false teachings that there's no resurrection from the dead. In other words, they began to believe what the world says, that you live and you die, and that's it, that this is all we have to look forward to. Paul is addressing that, and he says this. Now, if Christ is, is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is resurrection from the dead, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then here's where Paul explains to us why, why the resurrection is so important. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you get that? Paul's saying, listen, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we believe for nothing. We have no hope. All we know is that we have this life and then we die. And if it even claimed Jesus as its victim, then there's no hope for us. Here's what he says, verse 15. If that's true, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. What Paul is saying is this. If there is no resurrection, then we have no proof that Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice for our sin. 
And if we, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, Paul says in verse 19, then we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, Paul's saying, look, I don't know if anyone's ever said this to you before. You know, you, you believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm glad that works for you. You know, that, that's good for you. I, I have my own belief. Have you ever heard that before? What Paul is saying is that that doesn't work. Because if we as believers believe only for this life, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then Paul's saying that we of all people are most to be pitied. You know, don't you, that, that most of the apostles, everyone as far as we can tell except John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who wrote the gospel, all of the other apostles died for their faith. I'm sorry, died for their faith. Every single one of them. They were crucified. Paul said, look, you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, look, if the world hated me, they will hate you. In this world, you will have trouble. You remember that? Jesus wasn't saying that follow me and you'll have a nice cushy life. Follow me and things will just go better for you. He never said that. In fact, the opposite is true, that following Jesus Christ means sacrifice. Following Jesus Christ means hardship. Following Jesus Christ means persecution. We don't experience that a whole lot in this nation yet. But they have been experiencing and are experiencing it all over the world for those who trust in Christ. Now, Paul said, look, if it's true that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then then we're pretty pitiful people. Having sacrificed, having persecuted, been persecuted in this life for nothing. But thank God, that isn't the case. When they went to anoint Jesus, when Mary went to anoint Jesus' body, she found that the tomb was empty. The grave could not hold Jesus. Paul continues, actually, he, we'll, we'll go back a little, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. And he says, now, I would remind you, brothers, you, you see, we don't just believe for this life only. The resurrection means that we can believe this, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, that is, unless there is no resurrection. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Paul says, hey, look, and by the way, this was a saying that was already going around in Paul's time. This was written around 50, 55 A.D., not very long from the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance, in other words, this is primary, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, this is the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also 
to me. Listen, let, I want to make sure that you understand something as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. The resurrection is the foundation for our faith. It's crucial that we understand that the resurrection happened, that it's real. I, I, I love the way that, that Paul uh, addresses it. Paul said, hey, look, you need to know this. You need to know that your faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and if we're not careful, then, then we kind of get this idea. I don't know if it's from the world or we just kind of think this, that, that Jesus rose from the dead, that, that they found the tomb was empty, and that he simply appeared to the apostles, you know, the disciples, little groups here and there, and then he disappeared no one else saw it. And then they said, oh, hey, look, Jesus rose from the dead. Just like he said, that's not true. Look what Paul says. Paul says he was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, the rest of the apostles. Then he appeared, or disciples, I mean. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Get this. Maybe you didn't realize this that after Jesus was raised from the dead, that he hung around Jerusalem for 40 days, six weeks. And he appeared to multitudes of people, many different crowds. You you remember the the disciples on the road to to Emmaus, we read, uh, on on the day that Jesus, that Sunday, the resurrection Sunday, that, that they encountered Jesus. Jesus appeared to a lot of different people, a lot of different time. And what Paul says is at one point here, Jesus appeared during this six-week, this 40-day period, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. It, It wasn't this little secret resurrection that Jesus had. It was a very public resurrection. Over six weeks to many people at one time, over 500, and Paul adds this little footnote, many of whom are still alive. What Paul was saying is at the time of the writing of this letter to the Corinthian believers, Paul said many of the people to whom Jesus appeared, they're still alive, you can ask them. Why why did Paul go through all of this trouble to help us understand that Jesus appeared to so many people after, after the resurrection? It's because of this. We believe not because of what Jesus taught, but because of what he did. You get that? We believe not because of what Jesus taught. So so we don't believe, we're not Christians, we're not followers of Jesus, just because he had some really good ideas and he taught some really cool things. We don't believe because of what Jesus taught. Now, we do believe what he taught, and he told us in Matthew 28 to teach others to observe those things, But that's not why we believe. We don't believe because what Jesus taught. We believe because of what he did. He rose from the dead. And the reason that that is so crucial is that proves that everything he taught was true. That he is God, the Son. That he is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That he did initiate a new covenant with us. One that's not based on what we do, but one that's based on what he did on the cross for us the resurrection proves it all but but that's not all you you see 
We don't simply believe because what we can gain from it for this life, even though there are huge benefits of following Christ. One is that we have now peace, that we have now the presence of God with us, his comforter, his Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Jesus is also our source of hope. The, the sad reality is that except for those who are here when Jesus returns to take, take us home, that we will all face the end of this life. Every single one of us, if we're not here when Jesus comes back for us, this life will end for us. I, I can't imagine what it's like for someone without Christ. Because for them, this, this world is, is as good as it gets. And, and I don't know about you, but there are so many days where, where I would have to think, if this is as good as it gets, why bother? You see, for those who are without Christ, there's no hope. This life is all they have. But for those who are, who are trusting in Christ, for those who are in Christ, the resurrection is the source of our hope that there's more than this life. For those who believe, the penalty of sin has been satisfied. Paul says that the credit, the debt of our sin has been canceled. It's done, like Jesus said on the cross. It's finished. That's why why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because there is... Jesus took all of the condemnation for our sin on the cross. There's none left for us now. We're forgiven. Jesus exchanged our sin. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. We are right before God. We have right standing before God. For those who believe the penalty of sin has been nullified, death has lost its power. I began with this, but I want to read it again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 58, uh, let's, Paul says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Isn't, isn't that cool? You ever love uh, when you're reading Scripture? What this means is Paul, I, Paul says, I want to give you a little insight on something. I, I tell you a mystery. Paul said, hey, look, you, you guys are worrying about the resurrection. Let let me explain something to you. Let me give you a little bit of insight on this subject that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. For those who, who are privileged to be here still when Jesus comes back to take us home, he, he, even they won't sleep. That's a euphemism for death, but they'll be changed. Some of us will. There's the implication that Paul has here. But we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. I love it again later on in Romans chapter eight, Paul says, For those whom God foreknew, he predestined not for salvation, but predestined in salvation to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. I know this is hard for you to believe, but one day I 
will be without sin. Might be harder for you to believe that one day, for if you're in Christ, one day you will be without sin. We'll be changed. We'll be made into the image of Christ. We will be as God intended for us to be in perfect relationship with him. And then Paul continues, for this perishable body, can I, can I get an amen? amen. The, this perishable body, you know, I'm, I'm 20 in my, my brain, I'm older than that in my knees. This perishable body must, must put on the imperishable. Why? Because this life isn't all there is. This isn't even the dress rehearsal. God is preparing us for eternity. This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Did you know that? That you were created for eternity. God will spend eternity with those who are in Christ. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. I love this passage. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That's an odd thing to say because when people pass away that we love, we grieve and we hurt and we feel pain for that. But, but listen, the sting of death isn't the end of this life. That's not what, what was happening there. He says the sting of death is sin. And for those who are in Christ, he took our sin. He paid the punishment for our sin. We have the, his righteousness now before God. So he says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We couldn't follow the law. That's why Jesus did for us. And in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank God there's no grave that could hold Jesus back. He has the victory over death. He has the victory over sin. So we don't need to fear. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to, to, to look at the end of this life as the end of everything. Listen, I'll just read to you what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. You ever feel like you're just not going to make it? <laughs> Paul says, stand firm hold on be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your labor is not in vain you see the resurrection changes everything for us for some months now uh, i i put uh, at the end of the messages, hashtag Jesus changes everything. But I need to ask you this morning, can you say that that's true for you? It, it, just, just you and God, can you say that Jesus changed everything for me? 
if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, you don't have to believe a fairy tale to follow Jesus. You don't have to know everything he said to begin to follow him. In fact, Jesus told the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You don't have to become that beforehand. Follow you and I'll make you that. Here's what you need to know, that our faith is based in fact. We don't believe, we don't follow Jesus because of what he taught. We follow Jesus because of what he did. What he did was that he died on the cross taking our sin and the punishment for our sin. That he was buried, and then on the third day, just like Scripture predicted, on the third day he rose again to prove that he has victory over sin and death. We believe because fact, because of what Jesus did. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do that this morning. Maybe you have. Maybe you did that long ago. For some, maybe you did that as a child. But, but if you're really honest with yourself, you would have to say, you know what, I don't think I can say that Jesus changes everything. In fact, for some, you might have to say, I don't think Jesus changed a lot. Can I just encourage you to do something today? Can I encourage you to say, you know what, Jesus, I want you to change everything in me. I'm going to pray, and, and, and as I pray for us, here's what I would invite you to do. Just wherever you are, if you're, if you're there with your family, get everyone settled down, bow your head, and, and pray with me. And if you've never trusted in Christ, would you, just, would you just invite him in? Would you just say, Jesus, I believe, I trust you. Would you change everything about me? And the Bible says that, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That he'll do it. There's no magic formula. There's no magic prayer. There's no handshake that goes along with it. It's simply that you trust in Christ. So when I pray, I would invite you, if you've never done that, I would invite you to do that this morning. If you've done that, but your, your response is, you know what, I, 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 don't, I don't think he's changed much. Would, would you, as we pray, would you just pray, Jesus, would you just change me? Would you just make me like you from the inside out and search every part of my heart, would you? Would you just begin to change me, make me more like you? And for some, you might say, well, you know, he has changed me. All except for here. This one little area. And if you're honest, if we're all honest, then, then there are times where we say, you know what, Jesus, don't look over here, okay? Don't, don't, don't look there. Look over here. I'm doing really well here. But, but don't, don't look over here. That door right there, that's got a bunch of junk behind it. I, you don't need to go in into that room. W- would you just this morning with me just invite Jesus to come into every area of your life? Jesus, would, would you change my finances? Some of us want our financial situation changed. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus, would you change my heart about finances? Would you change my heart about stuff? Would you change my heart about relationships? Jesus, I just want to invite you into my relationships. Jesus, I want to invite you into my workplace. For some of us, that's our home right now. Jesus, I want to invite you into every area of my life. Nothing 
is off limits to you, would you just come and just change everything? I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I would ask that you pray. Wherever you are, just stop what you're doing and pray. And ask him to change you. Let's pray together. Father, it it amazes me that you love me, that you took the initiative, that you began even before I, I considered you at all. Your word tells me that while I was still a sinner, while I was still your enemy, that Christ died for me. And God, I know from personal experience that you pursued me. I I cannot say in in any kind of honesty that, that I was looking for Jesus or that I found Jesus. That's just not true. God, you got a hold of me. You pursued me. And I'm so thankful that you did. And Father, for those who are listening, those who've been watching this online, Lord, would you just work in their hearts? God, would you draw us to you? And if there's something in our hearts that's not pleasing to you, Lord, would you just go in and just change that? Maybe it's something that we need to confess and repent of. Lord, would you just convict us of that so we do that? Maybe, God, there's someone who's listening to this, someone who's watching this, who's never put their faith and hope and trust in Christ. Holy Spirit, I just ask that, that you would just do what you did for me. Would you just touch their heart? Would you just draw them to you? Maybe for the first time in their life, they see their need for Christ because of their sin. And God, would you just help them to understand that if they simply believe, if they simply trust in Christ, that that great exchange for them takes place. Jesus took their sin and the punishment for their sin and wants to give them his righteousness. It's a gift, not based on what we do, but what on Jesus has already done. And God, I pray that you would so work in our hearts that you would change us, make us into the image of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.